Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Ready to unlock a world of entertainment? Philips Roku TV has America's favorite TV streaming platform built in. So you can watch live TV, catch every game, discover must-see shows and hit movies, and get all the best streaming apps in one place, like iHeart, for all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts. Watch what you want, when you want. Immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4K picture and sound for every budget, with sizes for every room. Find your perfect Philips Roku TV today, online or at your local Walmart and Sam's Club. Hi, I'm Antonia Blythe, and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today is Alison Bree. Welcome, Alison. We got second place in my seventh grade lip sync contest for one of the songs on that album. The one that was like, you've already won me over. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. It's a very slow. all the options. In spite of me. Like, what did we do? It's so slow. (laughs) Don't forget to listen to 20 Questions on Deadline. Thank you again, Alison. Thank you. On this episode of Sports Illustrated Weekly... The Seattle Mariners have gone 21 years without making the playoffs. It's the longest drought of any team in any of the four major American sports leagues. Our producer and resident Mariners supporter, Cooper McKim, tells us what it's been like for the fans. And later, we tell you about the war that's being waged for control of the fastest growing sport in America, pickleball. But first, Herschel Walker won the Georgia Republican primary for Senate on Tuesday. We take a look at how he became the nominee by fully embracing the MAGA movement and what that says about the power of celebrity and our deeply divided political system. It's Wednesday, May 25th. I'm your host, John Gonzalez. From Sports Illustrated and iHeartRadio, this is Sports Illustrated Weekly. Before we begin, a note that this story contains discussion of gun violence, suicide, and domestic violence. Last night, one of the best running backs in football history won a very important race. The Associated Press is now projecting that former football star Herschel Walker will win the Republican primary in the race for U.S. Senator 
for Georgia. Herschel Walker led Georgia's Republican Senate primary from wire to wire, and his victory sets up a hotly contested general election against incumbent Senator Raphael Warnock. Like much of the GOP these days, Walker has embraced and espoused the MAGA talking points promoted by former President Donald Trump, a man he met and befriended decades ago when both were part of the original USFL. While Walker rails against immigration and critical race theory and falsely claims that Trump won the 2020 election, he has largely refused to address allegations of domestic violence and other troubling incidents from his past none of which seems to have bothered the Republican voters who elevated him as their nominee for November. So what does Walker's ascendance tell us about our idolatry of sports and fame, as well as the state of our strained political system? How is it that Walker, a man once celebrated for running the football, ended up running for Senate? In the 1980 election returns in Greene County, Georgia, Herschel Walker received three write-in votes for President of the United States. He was in high school. I'm Curry Kirkpatrick. I was a writer at Sports Illustrated from 1965 out of college to 1992. In 1981, I did a cover story for Sports Illustrated about Herschel Walker. We put him on the cover because the previous football season, as a freshman, he'd led Georgia to the national championship a 12-0 undefeated season where they beat Notre Dame in the national championship game. When the Irish scored, old Herschel said, well, you're pretty good, old son. But when the junkyard dog give me the ball, I'll show you how it's done. Dogs on the field, now hunker on down. He got hurt in the national championship game against Notre Dame. He came back out to run for over 100 yards and beat the Irish almost single-handedly. That's how great this guy was as a football player. I still think it's one of the most remarkable seasons in the history of college athletics. The Irish bowed their heads because they knew that they'd been beat. And they laid that national championship on the ground at the Bulldogs' feet. Herschel said, Irish, just come on back if you ever want to try again. I done told you once, you son of a gun, we're the best it's ever been. Dogs on the field now, His career was all planned out, that Herschel seemed to have a sense of what he was going to be. In other words, he learned to be a hero in high school. And I think Herschel Walker learned to be a hero before he became a football star. The Georgia Bulldogs have won the Sugar Bowl in their first national championship. It looks like the entire state of Georgia, in fact, the entire state of Georgia is on the football field. It's pandemonium down there. There were many people I talked to then that said he was almost like a politician even back then. And now he's running for the U.S. Senate. We should give all athletes the right to move over into politics. But at that point, we should then hold them to account. And not just for being an athlete, but what they are now, what they've become, what Herschel Walker has become. You're now a politician, and we have to figure out what that means. Control of the U.S. Senate could be hanging in the balance depending on this contest. I'm Greg Bluestein. I'm the political reporter for the Atlanta Journal Constitution. I'm also the author of a new book called Flipped How Georgia Turned Purple and Broke the Monopoly on Republican Power. I am from Georgia. I'm a Georgia native, college at University of Georgia. As it turns out, Greg is also something of a sports fan. Huge, huge. 
big Georgia fan. I went to both the uh, national championship game in Indianapolis, the Orange Bowl, the SEC championship, first time national championship since before I was born. At the Irish one. Gotta be Walker. Touchdown. The game is over. Georgia has won 17 to 10. It was Herschel Walker. It was in the early 80s. And again, it was before I was born. But I, I grew up hearing stories about Herschel Walker and his athletic feats. And, you know, just the name was synonymous with UGA growing up. I don't know if people really grasp how big Herschel Walker's star is in Georgia. My name is Tia Mitchell. I'm the Washington correspondent for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Herschel Walker, he's the biggest star to come out of the University of Georgia. He's also a Georgia native. I think there was assumption that he would run in Texas. That's where he was living and has been living for several years. He's lived in Texas for decades, and yet still has probably almost universal name recognition in Georgia before he moved back here a few months ago. That's the power of Herschel Walker's brand and his image in Georgia right now. America is so proud of this man, one of the greatest athletes in our country's history, the greatest running back who played at a certain school that you love very much, and he broke every record. Trump and Walker have known each other since 1984, when Trump bought the USFL team that lured Walker away from Georgia. They've been friends ever since. In his 2008 memoir, Walker wrote that Trump became a mentor to him and even modeled his business practices after him. They have this very unique bond in a way that I, I think no other candidate probably has. They are so close. We've been together for a long time. I want to be a leader like him when I get to that Senate seat to show everyone I love America. Thank you. I mean, he went to Disney World with Donald Trump's kids. You know, he joked that he babysat them. Like the former president, Herschel Walker leans more on hyperbole than policy while on the campaign trail. And also like Trump, Walker has been more inclined to ignore troubling allegations against him rather than address them. In the political world, candidates and their allies hire teams of researchers who do what we call opposition research. And they pour through everything they can possibly find about a candidate. And, you know, and some of it's you know, minor and some of it's not so minor. There's a lot. His oppo book is pretty thick, to be honest. Domestic abuse allegations. There's been police reports and allegations and court documents that show that he violently assaulted his ex-wife. There is an incident with the Dallas Cowboys cheerleader documented in police reports as well. You also have his business dealings, and he's been accused of launching businesses that don't perform well or don't pay their bills. And the third part, I think, is the more touchy subject, which is his mental health. Yeah, on the campaign trail, Herschel Walker is very frank about his mental health struggles. I mean, he says even as a kid, he was picked on, he was bullied, and that's when he got attracted to athletics. That's when he started working out and sticking up for himself. But he says he uh, has struggled with disassociative identity disorder for years. He attributes that to some of the violent and erratic behavior he had, especially during his playing career, especially when it comes to violence against women, uh, women who he's very close to. Herschel Walker hit such a mental health low that he felt compelled to play Russian roulette. This is Herschel Walker on the Howard Stern Show in 2010. Let's explain to people if they don't know what Russian roulette is. You yeah. take a gun 
yes. and you put this is the worst thing you could ever do. Yes, you take a bullet and you stick it in, in one of the six chambers and, and spin then the you, cylinder and put it to your head and pull the trigger. And how many times did you I've, play I've that? I've done that over six times. In a political campaign where everything is sort of weaponized, that could come back to haunt him as someone who who felt so depressed that he was willing to take his own life and now is running to be one of the most powerful politicians in the nation. It's not just about his violent history. This is such a well-known story in Georgia, especially to UGA graduates and, and fans like myself. But Herschel Walker famously did not graduate from the University of Georgia. He, he left early to, to go pro. But his campaign and even Herschel Walker himself in speeches and even on his campaign website for a time, he said he graduated from the University of Georgia. It was such an easily disproven fact. Anyone who follows Georgia football, especially during that era, knew that he didn't graduate. And these are the issues that his rivals will use in the general election campaign to sort of paint this picture of someone who is not to be trusted, who is not a legitimate candidate. His opponent, Raphael Warnock, and his allies are going to make a major deal about whether or not he really has been held to account for some of these past incidents. Raphael Warnock. He's already got more than $26 million in cash on hand. And so what we're watching over the next few weeks is how Senator Warnock and his allies choose to use some of these damaging reports that have already come out. It's so amazing to me what a central role sports has played in Georgia's U.S. Senate contest because, yeah, it was even before Herschel Walker got in the race, Kelly Leffler... was the co-owner of Atlanta's WNBA franchise, The Dream. And amid the Black Lives Matter protests, Kelly Leffler saw an opening. Kelly Leffler surprised people because instead of being the moderate conservative whose brand was, I'm a leader and a tough boss lady, but I'm not gonna scare you off. What her brand became was far-right conservative. There are calls for U.S. Senator Kelly Leffler to step away from the Atlanta dream, the WNBA team she co-owns after writing a letter opposing players wearing Black Lives Matter and Say Her Name slogans on warm-up jerseys. They made the strategic decision to write an open letter to the WNBA, and it's triggered this uproar from the WNBA and from her own team's players. They turned on her. Not only did they say, we don't support what you're saying, they said, vote war not. Literally, they wore black shirts with bold white letters that said, vote war not. And they wore it to games and they posted it on social media. It was a turning point for Senator Warnock's campaign. At the time, you know, he was always the front runner. He was always expected to get the Democratic nomination. But he was lagging in fundraising. He was having a hard time getting his message out. And it just put him in an even stronger position. And he won this special election runoff against Kelly Leffler, who branded him over and over again, this radical liberal, radical, radical liberal. liberal. And he won it with the ability to connect with moderate voters, especially in the suburbs. Raphael Warnock, he has one of the most powerful platforms in not just Georgia, but probably the South, as the lead preacher, the lead pastor at Ebenezer Baptist Church, which is Martin Luther King Jr.'s historic pulpit. And when they hired 
Reverend Warnock, they hired someone who went to Morehouse like Dr. King, who pledged the same fraternity as Dr. King. He clearly embraced that role as head pastor of Ebenezer. His first time in one of those Senate office buildings was not as a senator, it was as an activist being arrested because he was protesting on health care. He's honed this role in Atlanta's civic life as this sort of voice of conscience. He gave the eulogy at the late Congressman John Lewis's funeral. But as his life took shape, instead of preaching sermons, he became one. He became a living, walking sermon about truth-telling and justice-making in the earth. He loved America until America learned how to love him back. We celebrate John Lewis. He also developed a really close relationship with Stacey Abrams. And it was Stacey Abrams who encouraged Raphael Warnock to run for the U.S. Senate. Herschel Walker's race in being able to match another Black man against Raphael Warnock definitely plays a role in why he was recruited to move from Texas back to Georgia to run for this office. And quite frankly, it will help Herschel Walker pull some support from Raphael Warnock because Black male voters are more open to voting Republican than Black female voters. Donald Trump made inroads with Black male voters in 2020. Raphael Warnock is the first Black U.S. senator in state history. And in Georgia, the African-American electorate is the cornerstone of the Democratic Party it is the most important electoral bloc. You cannot win the party nomination, let alone a general election campaign if you're a Democrat, without overwhelming support from Black voters. And that's why Herschel Walker's candidacy is so interesting, because if Herschel Walker can win 15% of the African-American vote in Georgia, this race might be over. If there's one thing I've learned over the last few months of, of covering Herschel Walker, it's don't underestimate him. We've talked about all the things that could have brought his star down over the years. Allegations of not treating women well, operating his businesses poorly, his struggles with mental illness. Despite all of that, his brand remains really strong, especially in Georgia. He has Donald Trump support, but he also has Mitch McConnell's. He's the rare candidate who can try to bridge that gap between mainstream Republicanism and the MAGA crowd. He came from nothing, went to Georgia, made the most of that, went to the NFL, made the most of that. Herschel Walker continues to make the most of his situation. He has the it factor where he knows how to tell his story in a compelling way. I went to one event recently, and many of the people in the audience were not his supporters, but I interviewed a few of them on the way out. They, they came away saying, wow, you know, I could vote for this guy. This race is going to be a real test of whether or not 2020 and the Democratic successes in Georgia were a fluke, or whether or not Democrats have truly have staying power. We'll also see the extent of Donald Trump's influence do they want the pastor, principled moral leader on progressive issues or the football star who says, I'm just like you, I made it, I'm going to make America great again? 
Georgia is the most politically divided state in the nation. 11,000 or so votes divided Joe Biden and Donald Trump. So we are this 50-50 tinderbox right now. And that's why this race could really go either way. Which of these two powerful Black men do you want representing you in Washington? That's what the choice is going to come down to. Tia Mitchell and Greg Bluestein are political reporters for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. You can hear them both regularly on the Politically Georgia podcast from the AJC. You can find a link in our show notes. Special thanks to SI veteran Curry Kirkpatrick for adding to this conversation. After a break, 21 long years of bad baseball in Seattle. Will this finally be the season the Mariners make it back to the playoffs? Hey guys, this is Matt Jones, Drew Franklin from the Fade This Podcast. We got a great episode coming up, picks in all the sports, football, basketball, we do them all, but here's a preview of this week's episode. Nothing to do with anyone personally, but Creighton is the team every year that the nerds, you know, the basketball nerds, they're like, you know, who's ready to get to Creighton, you don't watch Creighton. They play, and I'm like, I don't want to watch Creighton because I agree with Shannon, the dude today. Creighton's never going to win anything. Stop talking to me about Creighton. They're not never the, not gonna, the not the Big East tournament. They're, well, I mean, they could maybe they win the Big East tournament, but it'll only be luck. But like, they're always like, you know, a sleeper team. That cool. Like that guy who I told you had eight title teams. One of his title teams was Creighton. Is not winning the national championship. It's yeah, I don't not, have him doing that. That like that's why do we all have to act like Creighton is a, is a is a good team. Creighton's like the band they all say you should know if you really knew bands. <laughs> and then they're never at any of those. And then never, yeah, exactly. And it comes time for the Grammys and they lose out to like, you know, Lil Durk. And you're like, see, I knew Lil Durk was better. Why are you, t- why are you telling me? the whole time. <laughs> and this episode was brought to you in partnership with DraftKings. To hear more, listen and subscribe to Fade This on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey guys, Mario Lopez here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back, enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit biotoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Ready to unlock a world of entertainment? Philips Roku TV has America's favorite TV streaming platform built in. So you can watch live TV, catch every game, discover must-see shows and hit movies, and get all the best streaming apps in one place, like iHeart, for all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts. Watch what you want, when you want. Immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4K picture and sound for every budget, with sizes for every room. Find your perfect Philips Roku TV today, online or at your local Walmart and Sam's Club. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. 
BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Ken Griffey Jr., Randy Johnson, Ichiro Suzuki. Those are the kinds of names baseball fans in Seattle still mention when they talk about the Mariners. Great players who meant a lot to the franchise and the fan base. But they're also guys who reached their peaks decades ago. Since then, it's been a whole lot of nothing for the Seattle Mariners. In fact, they haven't reached the playoffs in 21 years. That's the longest streak of any team in all four of the major American sports leagues. It's been a rough run for the organization and the beleaguered diehards who follow it. But this year was supposed to be different. Producer and resident Mariners fan Cooper McKim reports why a lot of people went into this season with high hopes for the M's and why they're trying to remain positive, even though the Mariners have lately hit a bit of a rough patch again. The Mariners not only in the longest playoff drought in major professional sports, but do so by shocking the Astros and winning the AL West. This team is loading up, and then they have one of the best farm systems in all of the league. I'm going to pick the Mariners like to win this division. I think the pieces that they added are legit. It's pretty obvious this is the best bet in the AL West. The Seattle Mariners are known as the lovable losers of Major League Baseball. They haven't been to the playoffs since 2001. Since the movie Gladiator won Best Picture. Since Bill Clinton delivered his farewell address to the United States. Thank you. God bless you. And God bless America. This 21-year stretch is the longest active playoff drought of any team in all four major North American sports. The Cubs, Red Sox, even the Cleveland Browns have all made their respective playoffs since the Mariners have. And they don't even have a curse to blame. What else could explain the suffering and lament that followed the Sox since the heady days of 1918 and before? So how did the Mariners get to this point? And is this the year they finally end their playoff drought? First, I want to look back and understand where the Mariners came from. They were wrought from the iron of losing, formed officially as an expansion team in 1977. Year after year, they lost. All the way through the 70s, all the way through the 80s. But then a particular first round pick came along and changed everything for the franchise. Seattle selection is George Kenneth Griffey, center fielder from Moeller High School in Ohio. That draft pick quickly turned Mariners' games into meaningful baseball. The 3-2 pitch, swung on and belted, deep to right, Jr. has hit number 100. I grew up a Mariners fan, in part thanks to my uncle John Boyko who remembers watching Junior very well. He was pretty much our first real superstar that garnered national attention, national TV, and all that stuff. Ken Griffey Jr. changed what it meant to be a Mariners fan. The losing suddenly stopped. 
1995, the Mariners made it to the playoffs for the very first time. They had a team many still remember today, built not only of Ken Griffey Jr., but Randy Johnson, Jay Buhner, Edgar Martinez, and freaking A-Rod. I mean, the buzz around the city was crazy. I mean, that was, it was awesome. Everybody was happy and smiling and giving each other high fives. 1995 was the turning point because they were talking about selling the team and moving it. And supposedly that late season push that we made in the playoffs, they say that that saved the Mariners from leaving Seattle. By 2001, the Mariners had made it to four playoffs in just six years, but could never make it all the way to the promised land. Soon, the super team was over. But a new one seemed to be forming, led by the generationally significant acquisition from the other side of the world, outfielder and leadoff hitter, Ichiro Suzuki. Listen, this kid's a player. If you can win seven batting titles in a row in Japan, you can hit anywhere. He is uh, Michael Jordan of Japan. Ichiro defined the Mariners to a whole new generation of fans, fans like me. There's your base hit. There's your record for Ichiro. That year, spurred by an ascending Ichiro, Seattle completely reversed the pattern of their early years. They just couldn't stop winning. They matched the 1906 Cubs for most wins in a season with a staggering 116. How could 2001 not be their year? They beat Cleveland in the divisional series and made it all the way to the ALCS, where they faced no less than the pinstripes. That one towards right field. The ball game is over. The Yankees have won the American League pennant for the 38th time. That was the last time the Mariners reached the playoffs. It left a city full of devoted fans wanting more. ESPN senior writer Mina Kimes remembers what that felt like. It's like I was hooked only to, of course, be disappointed for 15, 20, no, more than, you know, most of my adult life has been nothing but pain. My question is this. How can a team representing a city this relevant, a city that gave the world Starbucks, the game of pickleball, and grunge music, be allowed to languish for this long? How is that acceptable? As I talk to more and more people, there didn't seem to be any anger towards the team or ownership or anything. Many just tuned out, stopped paying attention. For others, their fandom became more passive. Gradually, over time, standards lowered, and no one seemed to notice or care very much. It's all perspective. Because again, we lost the Sonic, so I know what it feels like. Hey, we're sort of lucky to have a team. What happened here? How did a team with a record-breaking season in 2001 just fall off a cliff for 21 years? How did Seattle lose its identity as a baseball town and become a football one? Greg Bishop is a senior writer for SI and a Seattle native. He used to love going to games as a kid, but his fandom stopped after the good years. Bishop has a laundry list of what went wrong. They knew that they were getting older, that they were high-priced. I think they made some mistakes in free agency coming out of that period. And I think what you've seen since, you know, it makes more sense that 
it was sort of falling apart at that time after that special season. Kate Prusser is the managing editor of Mariner's website of record, Lookout Landing. Not being able to develop homegrown talent, not being willing to wield the few data tools did have then, making old school decisions, the fetishization of the right-handed power hitter. That failure was so endemic that there, you cannot point to one thing. As Mariners fans emerged from the hibernation of the MLB lockout, they awoke to the sound of commentators suddenly talking up the Mariners. So what changed? Why are the baseball cognoscenti slotting the Mariners into the playoffs? There is a new general manager in the Emerald City as Jerry Depoto has been hired by the Seattle Mariners. In 2017, new management took over with Jerry Depoto at the helm. The young, charismatic former pitcher was different, and everyone could feel it. And why I think Jerry changed the history of the franchise in one way or another is that they really did go into a full rebuild when they traded Robinson Cano. More specifically, when they traded Robinson Cano's massive, unwieldy contract. That was a good team. It was on pace to win, you know, in the 90-game neighborhood. But DePoto could sense that it wasn't built to win. You know, it wasn't a sustainable entity. DePoto burned the Mariners to the ground. Bishop tries to imagine the GM selling this idea to the Mariners' brass. I think he was in some ways fortunate that they didn't just laugh him out of the room. DePoto had a real vision of what the Mariners could be. And since 2017, he's been crafting it. In just a few years, DePoto took a farm system in last place, according to Baseball America, and brought it to first. Kate Prusser says he's improved the organization across the board, starting with communication and accountability. There's no, like, you go to AA and you hear one thing, and then you go to AAA and you hear another thing. They're looking for players who can thrive within the dimensions of their home field. And there's a real focus on analytics, so they can target specific prospects for specific reasons. And then to watch them kind of put the pieces together to the point where now you have a Julio Rodriguez or a Jared Kelenic. These are a lot of the top young players in baseball. But management's changes have been beyond just balls and strikes. They're very focused on the holistic development of people. But it's not just like, go swing a baseball bat 4,000 times and you'll know how to hit. It is sports psychology. It's a nap room in the clubhouse. They have an internal website with all sorts of resources, unlike anything I've seen in sports. For an example, is a book club where players share their own recommendations. It was such a wholesale sea change, restart. And then the people who did kind of stick around, it was, you got to be on board with this new way of doing things or you're out. So they just reshaped the organizational philosophy and I think did so very, very quickly. And now, five years later, all that work is starting to bear fruit. There are top prospects like Julio Rodriguez, Logan Gilbert, and Jared Kalanick on the rise. There are trades that already look like they're paying off in Ty France, J.P. Crawford, and Eugenio Suarez. It's smart acquisitions, but it's also the development, right? Like, it's giving these guys a chance to play every day. So it's acquisition and development. So, 
can the Mariners end their playoff drought this year? Well, early in the season, it certainly seemed possible. Now, well, less so. At the time of publish, they're next to last in their division. But even if they do make it this year, Kate Prusser says simply reaching the playoffs doesn't really mean that much if they can't make a run at the World Series. It's a trivia question. It's a date. It doesn't personally signify much to me whether they make the playoffs or they don't. I want them to make the playoffs and really feel like they have a chance to do some damage and make some noise in it. Bishop agrees. I think we're a little bit cart ahead of horse here. You know, like this is not supposed to be the year that it all comes together. It's supposed to be the year that guys like Julio and Jared and Logan, that they get reps, that they get time, and that they learn how to win together. The reason that people are so excited is there is a general sense in Seattle that this is going to be a team that's in the mix for a championship for years to come. So it's almost like you've been in a desert for 30 years and all of a sudden you stumble upon a tropical oasis of water, you know, and maybe it's a mirage, but you also want to believe it because you're thirsty. You know, you want to drink that water and you want to feel like it used to feel. And I think that's the other thing that plays into it in a real significant way. The future for this looks amazing. But like, I hope people don't get gassed up if they get in for one game and lose it because that's not the point of what Jerry's doing. Here's Mina Kimes again. It's just really fun. And I I, I know I want to buy the hype. I'm going to the playoffs, but my heart is too guarded, I think for good reason. But I am probably following this team closely more than I have in a while. That cuts to the quick of what it means to be a Mariners fan. To me, words like skeptical and questioning come to mind. But I wanted to know what word defines being a Mariners fan to everyone else. Incomplete. Fun. Character building. (laughs) I was going to say pain, but I didn't like that because it's really not all pain, you know, where there's a lot of joy in the struggle. (laughs) That sentiment was pretty much shared by everyone, including Kate Prusser. Yeah, I mean, I think the easy answer there is to say something like long-suffering or cursed or something negative. Um, But I guess maybe I would say indomitable. Bishop wanted to say the word tortured too. But the thing about torture is it actually makes you feel something. It's not like we have terrible memories of the Mariners. We just don't have any good ones, you know, for the length of uh, full adult's life, you know? Like, you know, like you could legally drink if you were born on the day that the Mariners last played in a postseason baseball game. The Mariners started the season hot, but they've since trailed off. Who knows, the season's long. They could make it to the postseason still. So with that in mind, for anyone born in 2001 and has never seen a meaningful game of Mariners baseball, I hope you can celebrate your 21st birthday not just with a beer, but with that sweet taste of Seattle playoff baseball as well. After a break, Hal Pickleball is hitting the big time and the weird, wild fight to control it. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. 
Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. What up, everyone? It's Lunchbox from the Bobby Bone Show, and I'm here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get you anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Ready to unlock a world of entertainment? Philips Roku TV has America's favorite TV streaming platform built in. So you can watch live TV, catch every game, discover must-see shows and hit movies, and get all the best streaming apps in one place, like iHeart, for all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts. Watch what you want, when you want. Immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4K picture and sound for every budget, with sizes for every room. Find your perfect Philips Roku TV today, online or at your local Walmart and Sam's Club. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. Everyone, please welcome Coach John Calipari. We're getting beat by 18. My first game in Kentucky. They're saying, Cal's a bust. He can't coach. This is crazy. John Wall runs down the floor and makes a buzzer beater. Yep. You remember that, John? That's my first game win I ever made. Remember you said you never seen me do that. Ladies and gentlemen, DeMarcus Boogie Cousins. I called Boogie. I'm like, yo, bro, I'm about to commit to Duke. And I hung up on him. <laughs> Bro, I'm talking about, do you want to tell me how many times he called me all type of names? Bro, you really sold me out. You doing this. <laughs> Bro, I was sick. I remember that like yesterday, man. Love you, John Wall. Thanks, Coach. Love you, too. You made me everything I am today. Nah, you made me. You made me. I love it. Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. It wasn't even supposed to be That's my game. <laughs> And now we bring you the story of pickleball, the fastest growing sport in America, and the billionaires slap fighting to control it. The thing that makes pickleball distinct is the thwacking sound that is made when paddle hits perforated ball. It is a signature sound that either sends you running far, far away or makes you want to play another hour or two. 
I'm John Walters. I'm a writer and also a professor at Arizona State University. I've just written a story on pickleball. Pickleball it is the fastest growing sport in America. And so in that brief, brief time, uh, the meteoric rise of pickleball, there have been a number of folks who've realized there's money to be made here. How do I make that money? I was introduced to this pickleball story when I heard that there were two pickleball halls of fame. And I said, why is there even one pickleball hall of fame? That seems silly. The fact that there are two instantly intrigued me and I had to know more. This is an excerpt from the story that appears in Sports Illustrated. This section is titled Dinkers and Bangers. By the fourth hit, a point is distilled into dinkers and bangers. To dink is to gently and repeatedly lob the perforated ball over the net, almost lulling your opponent and spectators to sleep. Eventually, though, someone opts to bang, to whack the ball from fewer than five yards away, setting off an exchange of rapid-fire shots, a slap fight with paddles. Seymour Rifkind is a banger. Some people think I'm a disruptor, says the single most disruptive force in pickleball. If there's a single person who's the reason that I started exploring this piece, it's Seymour Rifkind. This was someone who was inserting himself into the structure of pickleball uninvited. The more I heard about him before I met Seymour Rifkind, I thought he was sort of a nuisance. The very first person I called for the story was Seymour, expecting him to be sort of a villain. But he was anything but that. Here's how I described Seymour Rifkin in the story. Upon first encounter, Riff may incite an eye roller too. A self-made millionaire through his advertising firm, he has completed an Ironman, earned a black belt in Taekwondo, run the famously unforgiving Badwater Ultramarathon, and bicycled solo from coast to coast. All of this after his 50th birthday. He is someone who finds what needs to be done, finds a way to get it done, and sometimes doesn't really care whose feathers he ruffles in the midst of all of that. He's also, by the way, the son of a Holocaust survivor, which sort of informs his connection to how important making every day is. So I set up Dinkers and bangers is a way to set up most of the feuds that appear in the story. The metaphor would be this. A dinker is someone who methodically approaches a problem and maybe is so methodical that it seems glacial in terms of the way they get things done. Uh, a banger is someone who just hammers through the door and figures out a way to get it done and smashes a few things on the way. Seymour Rifkin is your banger. And Pat Murphy and the USAP are sort of dinkers. There are folks who would say that Seymour lit a fire under the organized structure of pickleball. Uh, he was a threat. There are two pro pickleball tours. We have a dinker in Ken Herman and a banger in Connor Pardo. 
There are a few different people who've decided we're going to take this chance and try to start a pro pickleball tour because no one else is. The irony of this is that Ken Herman, who started a thing called the Association of Pickleball Professionals, and Connor Pardo, who started something called the Pro Pickleball Association, got into it at almost the very same time. Independent of one another, Ken Herman is in his mid-50s. He comes up through tennis. He is a good, obedient person. A very likable guy, very hospitable. Connor Pardo is a renegade. He's in his mid to late 20s. His family is in real estate development in the Southwest. They are very entrepreneurial, opportunistic. There are a couple of major differences between these pro tours. The main one is that the PPA run by Connor Pardo has been purchased with a contingency by billionaire Tom Dundon. And so there is a billionaire backer of one tour, and there's another tour that's almost like a mom and pop operation. When the PPA was purchased by Tom Dundon, Tom Dundon became very Machiavellian. They locked up the number one player in pickleball, a young man by the name of Ben Johns, and they signed him to a three-year exclusivity contract where he gets a guaranteed appearance fee for every PPA event that he does, but he is never allowed to play on the APP tour. Once they locked up Ben Johns, they went around to the other best players in the world and said, we have Ben Johns. You have a very short time window here to sign up with us with this three-year exclusivity tour or else you don't get it. We're not talking a lot of money here, by the way. We're talking less than $5,000 a weekend. Most of these players are all making their money, by the way, with sponsorships and endorsement deals with paddle makers. So it's not really even about that. But Tom Dunn, a billionaire, was offering some players a $1,000 a weekend appearance fee. Well, if you've got to fly from Florida to Arizona to play in a tournament, you're barely breaking even anyway. And the way he did it, which was basically informing them over Christmas vacation and giving them less than a week in some circumstances to make this decision was seen as sort of putting his foot on their neck. Tom Dundon is not the only billionaire involved in this story. There's a man by the name of Steve Kuhn, who curiously enough made his first fortune as a portfolio manager at Goldman Sachs in the 2007-8 era that might be something worth looking into. His specialty was mortgages. That's another story altogether. But Steve Kuhn made hundreds of millions of dollars, and he decided to eventually move to Austin, Texas, purchase 90 acres of land, and create his own Charles Foster Kane-esque Xanadu. He calls it Dreamland. Dreamland has pickleball courts, a miniature golf course, uh, it has a music venue, and it also has homes. And what he is trying to do is basically create a space that will be the epicenter of pickleball in the United States. He wants top pickleball pros to live on this land. He will give them the houses. But what he also has done is create something called Major League Pickleball, which is actually less of a tour and more of, I call it like a pickleball palooza, pickle palooza. One weekend of the year, he offers way more prize money than anyone else. He gets the best players in the world from both tours to come to his venue and play. This was done for the first time in November of 2021, and everyone thought it was a one-off. 
Everyone thought, this is great for the sport. It's great for players to make some extra money. And Steve Kuhn, by the way, is a very likable guy. And he put on a great show. Here's the problem. Once Tom Dundon bought the PPA, and he's based in Dallas, Texas, Steve Kuhn realized I need to basically go up and kiss the ring of Tom Dundon to make sure I can get PPA players to compete in my next Pickle Palooza. But when he went up to meet Tom Dundon in person in January to say, I would like to be able to have Ben Johns and the other top players on your PPA tour play in my Major League Pickleball event, Tom Dundon's response was, they will play in Major League Pickleball when I own Major League Pickleball. <laughs> so, so as I said to Steve Kuhn, this reminds me of like a scene from The Godfather. You don't buy me out, I buy you out. The tale of two Pickleball Halls of Fame, which is why I first was so intrigued by this. Of course, you might ask, is there anybody famous for playing pickleball? The answer would be no, at least right now. Seymour Rifkind looked around and said, there's no Pickleball Hall of Fame and nobody at USA Pickleball. No one there seems interested in starting it, so I'll start one on my own. And he paired up with Steve Kuhn, who owns Dreamland, and said, like, we should do this. And Steve Kuhn said, great idea. Eventually, the United States Association of Pickleball, USA Pickleball, said, wait a second, like, we are pickleball. How is this guy creating the Pickleball Hall of Fame? So feeling a little bit threatened and feeling a little bit as if Seymour Rifkin had stepped on their turf, they announced the formation of their own Pickleball Hall of Fame. Eventually, the USAP backed down and said, we don't want this smoke. This is a year later now since this happened, and there's still no actual brick-and-mortar Pickleball Hall of Fame. There is a kicker to this story, though, and the kicker is this. Pat Murphy, who was the head of the International Federation of Pickleball, who received a no-confidence letter from everybody, almost everybody in the International Federation of Pickleball, he has announced that he is creating his own separate Pickleball Hall of Fame in Utah. And I think that is Pat Murphy's last shot at Seymour Rifkin. Like, you think you have a Pickleball Hall of Fame? We've got a Pickleball Hall of Fame. If you're keeping score, there have been three Pickleball Halls of Fame announced. None actually exist yet. The barrier to entry to Pickleball is very low. It's more social because you're closer to people. You don't have to be in as good a shape in terms of your knees and your, you know, your rotator cuff and all that sort of stuff. There's lower incidence of injury. I do believe pickleball will become as popular as its biggest proponents are saying. I don't see why it cannot become a high school sport and even perhaps an NCAA sport. But it's definitely something you can teach an eight-year-old how to play and also an 88-year-old how to play. And, and that universality of pickleball, that's why they're pounding the tables about how popular this game can be. Rafael Nadal going against Novak Djokovic, that is a level of athleticism that pickleball will never replace. The difference is more people can play pickleball than ever pretend that they're Rafael Nadal or, or Novak Djokovic. Pickleball was invented in 1965 
in the Pacific Northwest, specifically Bainbridge Island, right off the coast of Seattle. And with all due respect to pickleball's origins, I find a wonderful metaphor between the game now and where I live in the desert outside of Phoenix. Everybody loves living out here because the weather is beautiful and the desert's got its own character to it. But you can love it to death. You can build and build and build and build more homes and build more franchise restaurants. And eventually the deserts disappeared. You've loved it to death. What was it that you first came out here for? What was it that made you fall in love with Arizona? It's the sunshine. What are you doing in, inside? It's the, it's the saguaro cacti. Why are you paving over paradise? To the pickleball people, I would say, play pickleball. That's why you got involved in the first place. Stop worrying about governance. Stop worrying about profit. And just remember what made you love pickleball initially, which is getting outside and getting off your butt and playing a game with people who are your friends or will be your friends. All of the other stuff, you've lost the forest for the trees. That's what I would tell most of the folks who have gotten high blood pressure because of wrestling for control of pickleball. Sports Illustrated Weekly is a production of Sports Illustrated and iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite shows. And for more of Sports Illustrated's best stories and podcasts, visit SI.com. This episode of Sports Illustrated Weekly was produced by Cooper McKim, Jessica Yarmosky, JC Heckman, and Isaac Lee, who is also our sound engineer. Our senior producer is Dan Bloom. Our executive producers are Scott Brody and me, John Gonzalez. Our theme song is by Nolan Schneider. Thanks for listening, and if you've stuck around this long, we leave you with this. It's like if Beyonce ran for office in Texas in 2040, we're going to have this same conversation about the Beyonce effect. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste, the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Ready to unlock a world of entertainment? Philips Roku TV has America's favorite TV streaming platform built in. So you can watch live TV, catch every game, discover must-see shows and hit movies, and get all the best streaming apps in one place, like iHeart, for all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts. Watch what you want, when you want. Immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4K picture and sound for every budget, with sizes for every room. Find your perfect Philips Roku TV today, online or at your local Walmart and Sam's Club. Hi, I'm Antonia Blythe, and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today is Alison Bree. Welcome, Alison. We got second place in my seventh grade lip sync contest for one of the songs on that album. The one that was like, you've already won me over. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. It's a very all slow. The, all the options. In spite of me. Like, what did we do? It's so slow. <laughs> Don't forget to listen to 20 Questions on Deadline. Thank you again, Alison. Thank you. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex-
National Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. <laughs> 